You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 269 for July 26th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about filing workers' comp claims and what you and your employer's responsibilities are. So go schedule your annual physical because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Heather in her sailboat in California. Hello. <laughs> and Bill in his office, also in California. Yep, I'm back. So for those listening to the audio podcast, which is probably 99% of you, we started about 30 days ago putting everything on YouTube, even if it was just audio. And this is the first time in I don't even know how long that we've recorded the Sierra Mark podcast with the video turned on. So if you like to see our our crazy faces that uh, I mean, I have a face for podcasting. These guys look great. But uh, if you want to see our YouTube faces, then head over to Archaeology Podcast Network on YouTube and check it out. It's just one more way to consume what we're doing here. It's not really anything special. We're just doing this. Oh, and also it's completely unedited. So any mistakes we make stay over there because while I'm putting it on YouTube, that's an extra like couple hours per show. And I just don't have time to edit it. That's just the processing of everything and getting it up there. So at some point we'll be editing the YouTube video as well, but until, you know, more of you subscribe to the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'd be a completely so, different podcast now, Chris. <laughs> I know, I know. So, all right. Well, so let's get to the topic at hand. So, I've got a friend who's doing some work with a yeah relatively new company to him, and he asked me some questions about workers' comp. Just some some relatively general questions, but also some questions related to a situation he was dealing with. Now. It's all pretty straightforward. I mean, a lot of us probably have had some kind of even minor injury at work. I slipped on some barbed wire climbing over a fence and, and sliced open my leg and got puncture wounds on both of my sides of my hands and, and things like that. And I had to go get a drug test when I was getting fixed up. And because that's part of workers' comp, you have to do it within like 24 or 48 hours, at least in Nevada. And you had to fill out special paperwork. And then they also just like dealt with the whole the whole medical thing. But what if you have an issue that's you're not you can't necessarily prove 100% that happened at work mm. and and my point is like like this friend of mine he's relatively fit you know takes care of himself he's young and had no problems and now he's out in the field on a on a really strenuous project more strenuous so than he's done recently he's been doing a lot of monitoring so he's you know now on this really strenuous field project and was starting to get a lot of pain and wow. just feeling this massive pain and he wanted to go to the doctor and he told his field director about it immediately when he really started to notice it. But it was the kind of thing that kind of came on gradually that, you know, you just kind of ignore it. You think it's going to go away. You're just sore. But, you know, after a weekend, it's still there. You come back and it's just like you can't walk. Mm-hmm. And it's I just wanted to have a chat because we're, we're not a legal podcast. We're not going to give you any legal advice. Wow. You know, every state is different and how they deal with stuff. But I just want to talk to you guys and see. What would you do in that situation? You know, he he wanted to know what his chain of responsibility is, basically, is telling his field director as soon as he realizes something's going on enough to kind of cover him. Or should he get something in writing from HR? Or what if there is no HR? <laughs> you know, you're a smaller company. Wow. You know? what, what do you guys think? 
Yeah, well, there's a lot with that one. Yeah, that's it's tough. You know, I the one thing I think that this brings up is the fear that people have for various reasons about contacting HR when it comes to safety, yeah. when it comes to injuries. On one side, I remember because I remember feeling it is that you know that you if you start and this is not I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just saying this is a common feeling is that I'm feeling sore. I'm feeling like I'm injured. I don't want to be that kind of a weak link in the crew. And if I get that reputation of always coming down with an injury or always being sick or, you know, and so a lot of times I think people do not talk about their soreness. They don't talk about, you know, injuries that may be coming. I mean, injuries, not all injuries happen, you know, in a, in in a, Right. It don't happen immediately. I mean, it's, it can be chronic. It can be uh, over time. I mean, one issue is back, right? I, I have two yeah, herniated yeah. discs. Was that caused by archaeology? Almost. Well, that and my hockey background, <laughs> one or the other, right? Yeah. So yeah. That's actually also something that people are thinking, okay, well, from the other side, okay, you have a herniated disc. What are all these other things that you're doing, right? That mm-hmm. could have caused the herniated disc. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And from the other side, the one thing that I want to talk about when you brought up this this topic, before I was in the position I'm in right now, I was always, I don't know, I, I kind of bought into this thought that, you know, HR or safety, if you have a large enough company, that when you have an injury and, and they're a little red, they're not quite sure if they want to, you know, if it really is of that level to report or whatever, I, I thought, you know, to me, that just never sat well with me. And I didn't understand mm-hmm. the true re- meaning behind that. And so, no, if there's an injury, yes, obviously I have to report it. Yeah. I'm talking about like when you have issues that are kind of on the bubble, when you're not quite sure, yeah. did it really happen at work? You know, and so these are questions that aren't number one are not even may not even be the question of the HR person. It's the insurance, right? The, yeah. There's things that are forcing them to ask questions that mm. have nothing to do with them. This is not how they look at things. They they maybe want to take care of you in every way, you know, but these are questions that are required of them to ask. I have a couple other thoughts, but I'll, I'll let you guys jump in on, on your thoughts. You know, one of the things that I, cause I know what you were talking about of being a tough person and just trying to tough it Mm -hmm. out. Right. Like that stuff just builds up. And so early in my career, when I toughed it out now, I'm not as tough anymore because stuff is, crooked and broken and you know didn't heal (laughs) properly right because i actually did keep going when there was pain and so i can recommend from personal experience don't do that when it comes to your body like don't do that yes Mm -hmm. the other thing about hr too that you know my wife's been doing hr for a very long time and one of the things that she always says is there's never any true answers and the answer is always it depends Mm -hmm. and so this is one of those questions that is, you know, falls in there, right? Because we've got insurance, we've got the the liability of the company, we've got your own personal responsibility for taking care of your own body and reporting things, yeah. you know, as they're happening. And then your supervisor. So there's a lot of people in there. So it's a really murky situation. So it's difficult to say, like, you know, did this happen while you were you know, out in the field, or maybe you, you went to a music festival, right? Or went on a, a walk with someone after mm-hmm. work, and then you just noticed it then, right? So at what point does the pain become, like, where did it originate? And then is that the response? Is that the employer's fault, yeah. right? 
So once again, I'm not a, I'm a, not a legal scholar or, you know, an HR expert or whatever, but it does sound to me like if you, if this was happening because you're doing a lot more hiking than you were used to, then it's reasonable to assume that that injury did start at the workplace. And so that it kind of is the workplace's responsibility to make sure that you, while you're doing your work tasks, don't get further injured right now. Mm -hmm. The sad reality with a lot of companies is, okay, well, if they're just at home, then they don't get injured anymore. So just go home. And when your hip doesn't hurt anymore, we'll see if there's any work. And that's what every archaeologist is afraid of. And that's the reason why we're running out of archaeologists, because companies do that rather than moving people over or having other tasks that don't involve walking Mm -hmm. out in the desert all day. The person just has to go and sit at their house. And then basically they're positions gone because of that yeah it's got to be difficult for field technicians that aren't permanent at companies too because mm-hmm. what if you're mm-hmm. you know you're starting to feel this pain in the last session of a 10 day and and you didn't yeah. feel it before that project started but then at the end of the 10 day you're on to another project and you get to this other yeah. project and it just gets worse and then you report it immediately it's like yeah. I, you know is, is that company even liable for that you know what what is it what if it was in a different state and you were in pain in florida now you're working in iowa you know what i mean yeah yeah i think the one thing that people don't talk about which is a reality that people really should should be talking about and that is when you're managing a project and you know the conditions on the project you have to match your crew to your project yeah yeah you do and you know it's not <laughs> when it comes to oh well that's not fair that i can't work on that project trust me i mean if you have somebody yeah. who's really really doing it carefully trust me if we hired you anyway and then we put you and you're like literally climbing up <laughs> in 100 degree yeah. weather you're going to be cursing our name halfway through that project right yeah. so you have to look at people's capabilities and match the project to the capabilities now not everybody wants to go through that work. Sometimes you're <laughs> desperate. Like you just need to get people out there. Yeah. You're like, okay, put a mirror under the nose and it, it creates condensation. <laughs> yeah. put them out there. But yeah. it's, it's a combination of management being a lot more prepared. Sometimes a lot of things happen last minute, but when you have the luxury of preparation doing that, and then also where you have crews that understand I mean, you have to understand your own physical limitations. I'm 52 yeah. years old and I'm not in the shape that I was in before. And I know yeah. uh, there's some projects, there's no way I should be out there. No, <laughs> I can't, you know. So I, yeah. I think people need to be realistic and I think people need to be understanding on both sides. Okay. Well, yeah. I've got something to kick off um, the next segment with and, and, we're going to, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter show for people because we've all got some extenuating circumstances here today. <laughs> and it's kind of a makeup show for us anyway, because we missed our normal recording time. So let's take a break, come back on the other side and I'll, I'll kick it off a little bit of a story talking exactly what Heather was talking about back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to episode 269 of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. And we're talking about workers' comp and reporting, you know, injuries and things like that. And something, Heather, you reminded me when you were talking on the last segment is... I was crew chiefing. Really, I was project managing, I guess, technically. I was kind of new at it. It was like, I'm a project manager, but there's really somebody who's watching me because I was new at it. (laughs) So, and it was for this other company I was working for. But here's the thing. You you mentioned, you know, assessing people's abilities. And I definitely Mm -hmm. do that from a intellectual standpoint, right? Like if somebody's really good at this, or even if they want to learn something that they're not good at, I'm conscious of that as well. Right. And, Mm -hmm. but when it comes down to, let's say physical abilities, that is such a sticky gray area because yeah, and you can't discriminate. No, because check this out. I had a crew this again, this was like 12 years ago. I had a crew of two other people. One was somebody who'd never worked in the field before. This was literally her first field project. She didn't look like she had any muscle on her body whatsoever. And I, again, I don't want to say anything. You're coming out with us. We're doing 10 on four off. It's about 5,000 foot altitude and rugged terrain. And it's going to suck. It's also like a hundred degrees. And this is going to be terrible for everyone, even if you're in good shape. And the other guy was, I mean, I'm not a small guy. The other guy was a big guy and he was older. He had, I don't really know what his experience was, to be honest with you. He was just given to me as a crew person. Mm -hmm. Well, both of them, for very different reasons, had a really hard time with that project. I felt like the one in shape on that project, which is not a position (laughs) I'm always in. (laughs) But, you know, she was... She was struggling because she'd never done that kind of physical labor before. Turns out he was struggling because he'd had triple bypass surgery the year before and he was having trouble breathing. And I'm like, okay, so first off, I had the crew changed out. I was like, these guys, yeah, these guys need to do something else. I'm not going to be responsible for a heart attack in the field. Right. So, but then here's, here's the other thing. Let's say he did have a heart attack in the field. Is yeah. that a workers' comp issue, or is that a pre-existing yep. condition that they could argue? Well, well it's both, but it's both. But then it happened at work, right? Yes. Right. And so that is one thing that I was going to bring up. Yeah, <laughs> is that, I, I, I want to uh, so, add to this too. Yeah, HR safety—they're always trying to look at mitigating issues like this, right? So, yeah. This isn't discrimination. I'm not going to go and look at somebody and say, I think they're overweight or they don't have a muscle on their body. Because honestly, I think sometimes you're going to be surprised because people's mental toughness can push them through. And then you have a guy who's all muscle bound and it's all show muscle and can't do anything, you know? So you, you can't do that. So I'm not saying discriminating by looking at them and stereotyping, you know, what I think they can do. It's giving people a chance But then after time realizing that maybe, okay, this area of, you know, this type of staff task I need, they don't fit into that. So this is just through experience. And then also this is, you know, people need to be realistic. You're not working for a company and the company doesn't owe you to pay you an hourly wage because they hired you to do nothing. They hired you to work in the field. They hired you for all these tasks. And that's why you see these jobs descriptions say you're able to hike, 
so many miles a day. <laughs> you're able to withstand certain kind of, uh, you know, climatic situations. You're able to lift 50 pounds, you know, for extended periods of time. These things, like, they're real. And they put these on job descriptions for a reason to cover yeah. themselves because you do get people that go out there and think, oh, well, yeah. you know, you hired me. You just owe me. No, that's and honestly, yeah. people also need to look at it. You're not being a, a good team player here either, because when you have somebody who has issues health wise or whatever that keeps them from being able to be productive in the field, you're hurting the others. The others have to pick up your, your slack now. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think people need to be need to be honest. And I think a lot of people honest with themselves and what their abilities are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. agreed. Yeah, I'm glad you said that thing about show muscle. I'm sick of you guys always being like, this guy's got all this muscle. How come he can't lift more? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I never had show muscle. I never had no muscle. <laughs> but I, I do know what it's like to just get given the people that you've got, right? And so uh, yeah. also in Arizona, that's a holy cow. There's a lot of people who have these grandiose dreams about doing Southwestern archaeology mm-hmm. and then they get to the Southwest and yeah. they, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. And so yeah. I could never, you're given people for your projects. You don't get to choose. It's whoever they've hired, right? Mm-hmm. And I can have a say on who I want if it's someone I already know. But at the end of the day, if we just need 11 people, then we just need 11 people. So we can't we can't really be sifting through and, and trying to do those kind of, you know, uh, can you please pick this bucket of groundstone up over your head? Can you please walk across this parking lot in Arizona sun? Like we don't really get to give them physical <laughs> tests to see if they can do it. No, yeah, I, yeah. no, no, it's yeah. not the American gladiators. So you, you just have to do what you do. So the huge task for anyone who's running crews out there is to find a way to modify the workflow or find a way for everyone to get across the finish line because you can't have yeah. like Chris was yeah. saying he's got one person who had uh you know heart surgery earlier one person who it's their very first job they so the person who's very first job they need to get acclimated you have to yeah. find some kind of a way to get that person through the project the person mm-hmm. who had uh, heart surgery you need to make sure that person doesn't you know collapse and hurt themselves yeah. out there even more. So here you are as this human that's like, okay, we've mm-hmm. got five people, two of them need some kind of modification or something's got to happen. And just like you were saying, Heather, in some situations, that's just not possible. If we're right. way back there and you are from, you know, I don't know, Connecticut or Alaska, and it's 106 out there every single day, and we're doing 10 hours, yeah. and it takes us two hours just to hike to the site. I mean, yeah. you're going to be weakened fast in the sun. It's, it not only takes it out of you immediately, but it also builds up. So heat and sun are something that can build up. And if people don't get proper lodging at night or they don't sleep or they don't drink water when they get back to the hotel, they'll be mm-hmm. diminished. And day after day, 10 days in a row, that person is in a lot of trouble by the time you get to like the fourth yeah. or fifth day. And so, you know, what do you do with that, right? What do you do if everybody goes out drinking and doesn't hydrate? And now you're stuck with eight people that are all hung over, but we've got to work yeah. and it's, it's a hundred and some degrees. That's a, <laughs> that's a, a, a health risk. That's the potential for people to get injured out in the field. And uh, the other thing too, uh, my last comment is you can never tell when it's going to happen to you or anyone else. Someone can be fully fit. They've been doing this for seven mm-hmm. years and all of a sudden just yeah. one day they feel yep. lightheaded and they just don't feel so good. So paying yeah. attention to your crew and looking for the signs making sure that there's like certain levels of, okay, they're going to go to the shade or they're going to go to the truck or we're just going to the hotel or we're going to the hospital. Like that we have all those kind of things in place yeah. to get people to safety. Like 
those are really important things for folks to work out. And guess what? A lot of times your uh, principal investigator, the person who gave you it, is, didn't, they didn't look for any of the hospitals. They didn't plan ahead if, you know, one Jeep has to go out. Can, do we have two vehicles, you know, to back up the other one? What are we going to do if someone gets sick? That's on mm-hmm. you. You know, two things on that real quick. The thing you were saying, Bill, about like, you know, oh, feeling lightheaded. You never know what those reasons are, too. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I I actually felt that when I was working on that big China Lake projects, I was I've talked about a lot on different shows. I mean, my tiny little company of one person was running a half million dollar project with thirty thousand dollars in payroll and per diem every two weeks. And I was probably a little stressed out. And not only that, but we're dealing with unexploded ordnance, Mojave green rattlesnakes that will just chase you because they don't care. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all this other stuff. And there was a and, and. And also it was hot. It was Ridgecrest, California. And there was like a couple times on one session. I remember I just kind of had to sit down. I I felt, I felt a tightness and I, I felt a shortness of breath. And as as a veteran, I I went to the VA and they actually, I I mentioned that to my doctor. I didn't get checked out right away. Mind you, I'm running this project. There's no one to replace me. And, but when it was over, uh, I did my annual checkup. Uh, It was a few months later. And I just happened to mention that to my doctor and they were overcautious. They did an angiogram where they, they went in through my wrist and through my leg just to make sure they could get, you know, both sides of my heart. Everything looked fine. So I don't know why that happened. I think it was just stress, but yeah. You really just never know. And it, and through an abundance of caution, you really should just, you know, get checked out. But then again, yeah. like you said, Heather, another thing I want to comment on, you said the mental toughness. Sometimes people will push through. Well, yeah, you know, the girl, what was it just last year that died in Louisiana? She's new. Yeah. She's like, I mean, people are saying she may have had an underlying heart condition and not even known about it or something like that. Right. But even so, yeah. if she had been feeling something would she have said anything because she just wanted to prove herself? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and Bill, I mean, I saw yesterday on the weather channel, Phoenix had its 23rd consecutive day of highs at yeah. 110 degrees or more. How do you even work yeah. in that? How is anybody doing work down there right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, and I, you're right. You know, there's tons of companies right now. There's people in Maricopa County in the you know Valley of the Sun. They're burning it out. They're out there right now. Yeah. They're doing archaeology yeah. right now when it's 113, yeah. 116. I mean, that's just the reality of working in Arizona. And that's what's up if you think that you're going to come from Seattle and go to Phoenix. <laughs> you are risking yourself. You know, and, and also I, we were just working in uh, the Virgin Islands for 40 days and every yeah. single day had a heat index of at least 99. It was like 70% humidity <laughs> every single day. And sometimes it even rained. And it was, you know, probably 88, 90 degrees every single day, every day. But you're in the Virgin Islands. You were on vacation, Bill. You're getting that birthday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll show you the photos of my vacation, digging through an entire layer, screening through layers of a burned house, just black. I mean, I sweat so much that I could literally wring my shirt out. That's how oh disgusting it was down there. Yeah. Sweating through your pants, sweating through everything, sweating into your backpack, right? Because there's there's no relief from the humidity, right? Like yeah. you just your clothes are totally soaked all day long, and yeah. uh, you know we have to take a lot of uh, a lot of uh, caution in the beginning because you know everybody's coming from everywhere else, and I guarantee you they weren't outside in the yeah. Virgin yeah. Islands, you know, for six eight <laughs> hours a day in the sun, direct sun digging. And so, you know, you, you have to watch your people. And we went at a pace that would have been like laughable for cultural resources in the beginning. Then by the end, folks are moving like foundation blocks and digging shovel probes in like, you know, 40 minutes. Well, they didn't start that way. They started off 
us having to be flexible and let people take yeah. plenty of breaks and, and have right. shade and everything. And then by the end, they can just go and take a screen and, and excavate a shovel probe like 70, 80 centimeters through clay like it was, you know, a normal probe. So yeah. that's what I mean by like making sure that you're flexible and watching your crew. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that immediately this person will never get to do archaeology. But if you give them that space so they don't hurt themselves – Not only are you mitigating the risk, because like, you know, when it comes to uh, occupational health and safety, if you notice a risk, you're supposed to design a workflow that will mitigate or eliminate the risk, right? And in archaeology, we know we can't eliminate risk. So one of the ways is to make sure that a person is easing into a situation like Phoenix. Those people who are Mm -hmm. out there digging in Phoenix, if they got dropped in there right away from, you know, Alaska or Seattle, they're they're toast. There's, you know, hardcore people who have been working in Arizona for years. And so they're less likely to die, but they still need to pay attention to their bodies. And you still need to pay attention to your crew because once again, it can happen to anyone. Like Chris was saying, it can happen at any time to anyone. All right. Well, on that note, let's take a break and we'll, we'll talk about, well, maybe what companies could or possibly are doing on the other side back in a minute. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to episode 269 of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. So... <laughs> One thing I've been thinking about through this, uh, and I was really thinking about this in segment one, but it's good for segment three to wrap this up. Have either of you guys worked for or heard of or, you know, Heather, you work for a a slightly bigger company that might be able to do this. Has anybody ever had like a like a medical checkup pre-employment or at least or even annually just to get like a baseline so the company can help help out with their liability and say, oh, you hurt yourself in the last job and you come here and claim workers come because you're a field tech. And and that's how it works. You're you're just you're working all the Mm -hmm. time anyway. It doesn't matter what company you're working for mentally. You know, even if you hurt yourself on the last job, this is the one where you're in pain. (laughs) So what do you guys think? Well, I'll, I mean, I, I don't want to step in front of Heather too quick. But no, I never worked for a company that l- did the screening. I did it myself. So I had yeah. to get my own physicals because I get one a year through my insurance. So that would be the time when I would talk about all the times my back hurt and everything. But then I would even add, and I 
so for a while in Seattle, my they didn't charge me, but in Arizona, they did charge me to get all my blood work done to see if my arsenic, mercury, and all those other mm. things, because doing historical archaeology, mm-hmm. I dig through petroleum pits and, you know, uh, factories where they had all kinds of battery acid, right? So those are the kind of soils that I was constantly digging in, and we didn't always test those soils to make sure they were, were full of contaminants, right? So yeah. if you're digging a mining site and they're processing ore and stuff, nobody's really necessarily testing that thing to see if you're sick. So I would always get my blood work done at my physical too. So it wasn't just about like my body and it, it breaking, but am I absorbing chemicals from the environment at a yeah. very high level? And at w- what point did that start? Right. So I'm not doing it after every single uh, field project, but once a year with my physicals, uh, when I was doing field archeology, span I would still get my blood work done. And in Arizona, I had to pay for it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I've never, oh, you talk to my team, they'll tell you they're always on me to go to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor. Um, oh, man. I'm really bad about it. I'm so bad. Anyway, <laughs> but I think that's a great idea. Having companies do that, I actually, I mean, I think Bill's idea is good. I mean, that's, you know, self-care, that's being yeah. responsible. I think that's really smart. Now, with companies, actually, that's a really good question. I've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. I actually think that it's a would be a very fair thing to do. I mean, we do drug tests ahead of time, right? And yeah. that's mainly required usually because companies require Not your company. Yeah. It's usually because a client yeah. company requires it. So, wow. I, I actually think it might be a good idea. Um, I actually, you know, I come from my sports background we had training camps at the beginning of every year and that's because you know during the summer people are getting soft well that's because my sport was hockey you know and no ice right well there's always ice but, um, but we would have it was it was like you, it was a very, it was a reality check, right? Uh, the beginning of every year is, is uh, who stayed in shape and who was throwing up over the side of the, I mean, there's things I think about that were happening in training camps that, oh my yeah. God, would never not safe. Not safe. like, yeah. But, you know, I mean, like people just skating people just to see who was going to throw up first kind of thing. Like, so we don't nice. do this. Can you imagine us doing that in the field? Right. <laughs> running yeah. transacts to see who's going to throw up first. Anyway. <laughs> I think Arizona, Arizona just takes care of that for you. All you got to do is yeah. go outside and walk to the yeah. edge of the Best Buy parking lot and you'll be puking. Right. Yeah. So I, I actually I actually think that, you know, this is just kind of a pie in the sky thing, but I actually think it's a good idea. I think yeah. before the field season, having a training camp, not to test people, but to give people a reality check and also – yeah, it's a reality check, basically. Uh, now, when it comes to the one thing that I did want to talk a little bit about is when it comes to HR, the one thing that that employees need to understand is that companies have a certain kind of rating when, it, you know, as far as mm-hmm. accident rating and, you know, and you could end up not getting a job because of your rating. And that's a lot of it is based on the type of of report and the amount of the report. Mm. And so your rating can jump and only, you know, one report can knock your rating to a deficit. Right. And so that's something that they're always thinking about. I mean, like I guarantee you, your HR department would want to help you in every single incident. They have to think about, okay, first of all, how are we going to report this honestly? 
And how is this report going to impact our ability to get work? Because you can knock yourself out for an entire year on a rating because it had nothing to do. It wasn't the fault of the company or anything. Maybe it wasn't even the fault of the employee. It's just one of those things that happened. So I think that people need to understand that. Yeah, I I think the responsibility is on both sides. People cannot just show up to work and not prepare their body for it. You see it. I see it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, and along those lines, and Bill, I was going to mention this and you put it in our comments here, you know, about field techs taking care of themselves. It's it's going to have to be the kind of things that you budget for, because if you don't have insurance, which a lot of field techs probably don't, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, with, with like Obamacare and stuff, you're required to carry something or do something or you get penalized for it. But either way, people get around that and, and they, they, they either just or that or they just don't go yeah. to the doctor because they don't have like a regular doctor to go to. But you can go to places and, and get a checkup and get a physical and get blood work done. And it might cost you a few hundred dollars. Right. But it's the yeah. kind of thing like taking care of your car. You get your oil changed, get your own oil changed. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and get that checked out. And it's. It might suck to say that, but like you guys are both saying, it, it's the thing to do and, and you really should do that. No, that was, um, I, I was going to mention about that they don't, yeah. most field techs don't have health insurance. And so folks are caught in this like kind of middle zone where, you know, I think a lot of us for the longest time was like, well, the company needs to be taking care of this and the company needs to do that and the company needs to take care of. But the amount of delay that I experienced in my career between the company doing anything and like me getting hurt or getting the help I need was always so far that, you know, it's not like I went to HR and said my wrist hurts and they were like, okay, go to quick care right now. That, that was, yeah. you know, fill out this form and I've got to pass it through here and there and your wrist hurts. You got to get to work tomorrow. So you got to see, do you have a broken bone or do you, can you go to work? Right. So those are the kind of things that sometimes for your own health, you got to, you just have to bite the bullet. And I, I hope that people can get, we can get universal single payer healthcare. Like that just yeah. to me solves many things for companies, many things for individuals. People don't get hurt as much because they can go to the doctor. They're not afraid of going into, you know, extreme debt because they hurt their wrist. Yeah. So, well, you know, these are the kind of things I can see where, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how these other countries folks live longer than us because they can just, they don't have to worry if they get a cough, they just go to the doctor. Right. So, you know, it's, it's tragic, but at a certain point, I mean, how long would you wait after getting an injury for you to actually go to the doctor on your own, even if you didn't have insurance, right? Because a small minor thing that kind of hurts today, if you take care of it real quick and give it the rest, then you don't have, you know, 50, $60,000 bills. But if you let it go longer and tough it out and just keep grinding, Mm -hmm. then you're going to get a bad injury. And, and like I said, by the time the company has filled the workman's comp claim out, you've gotten the money, this and that, like now your illness is way worse, right? Because you didn't go and take care of it. Right. So I, I mean, it's just a, it's a horrible situation to be in and I have been in it personally, but like you're saying, sometimes a couple hundred dollars well-placed will save your career and save you thousands down the road. Yeah. And not, not only, like you said, save your career because so many people, especially new people in this field are just running the edge of payroll, you know, working yeah. paycheck to paycheck. And, uh-huh. and that's just, that's just the way it is in this field. And, you know, you're afraid that, Hey, if I report something or if I go get checked out and I find out I can't work for two weeks or a month, that could be enough to make it. So you never work in archeology span again, right? You don't get, you don't yeah. ever get another job. If that was at the end of the field season, I mean, it should, could just be, I don't know, could be devastating for people. So if we had that sort of assurance that, hey, I can't take this time off, I will get paid or 
I can maybe do something in the office or I can do something else, you know, and, and still, you know, not have that physical limitation. But, you know, it made me think, or Heather, like, too. Yep. I was going to say, or like FMLA, where it's like, you know what? My wrist hurts oh, yeah. now. It's yeah. going to probably hurt for six weeks. Yeah. But I'm going to take this job driving, you know, Lyft or doing something else, or I'm going to work at, you know, some other place. But yeah. in six weeks, when my wrist is is back, can I come back and do archaeology? I mean, that would be amazing if somehow there was that kind of situation where yeah. they'd know that, okay, Bill's out for six weeks, but on, you know, October, whatever, we could call him and have him go back out on projects, like just kind of a delay. Sure. And it's sad that you have to find another job because this is the United States. But seriously, it's better to take those six weeks off and let your arm and whatever else rehabilitate mm-hmm. so that you can do archaeology for the next six years. Yeah. And, and Heather, you were saying how it sounded like a good idea with companies maybe doing a, you know, a pre-physical like liability check. But I was thinking when we, <laughs> I was thinking that was a good idea, too. It's why I mentioned it. But then while you were talking, I was like, man, I mean, these companies, especially bigger ones, all work on statistics and money. And if workers comp yeah. fraud, which is what they would call it, was really a thing, then they'd already be doing that. So it must not be that big of a financial hit for companies. Otherwise they would be proactively doing something. I would imagine if, uh, if people were just showing up and making a workers comp claim in the first segment, you know, I don't think really? people actually think that much. I think they probably should, but I think they're yeah. giving, I don't know, from my perspective, I think that's giving them a lot of credit. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> I will say when I was in, you know, school for archeology, span I, I don't remember once hearing you better be in good shape. These are the realities of your physical, you know, what's going to be asked of you physically. I don't remember that. That's another. And I know we say this a lot, broken record, you know, it needs to start at the university because Mm -hmm. you have a lot of people that get into archeology span that are more kind of bookworm people. (laughs) And now nowadays with young people, they're not as active as they used to be. They're just not. They're more in front of their screens. And so people are going to be going into this field blinded, like blindsided. Yeah. They're not going to realize what's going to be required of them. And and I, I think that's really important is that people are going into, into it with full knowledge. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the one thing I was going to say, I just realized that this last summer working with students as I talk to folks, people who did stuff like dance team, basketball, Boy Scouts, cheerleading, gymnastics, football, like those those people a lot of times you'll find that, oh, yeah, when I was in middle school, I played basketball or, mm-hmm. you know, I was a cheerleader all the way through high school or, you know, all different kinds of like team and like physical active folks they do really good in archaeology yeah. field work it's cra- it's kind of crazy and then i, I watch it and it's it, no not just archaeology field work i know a lot of people who also did team sports who are great in the lab and also great yes. at a lot of different yes. levels and so it's, it's kind of i'm just i'm just now putting that together this last year that a lot of the people that i worked with they played soccer mm-hmm. or they you know for a couple of years and it didn't even have to be in high school it could be like way back when they were in elementary school or you know middle school it just seems to me like that kind of physical activity i just now put it together that that is a strong predictor of someone being able to do field work. Yeah. I think there's a few reasons that carry over to lab as well. First of all, it's teamwork. It's also knowing that you can, you know, you can work. I'm sorry, I'm hearing 
something on my phone is clanging. Sorry, uh, it's distracting. You know what it's like to fail, and that fails not failure's not bad, right? Yeah. So you're not walking it like, and if you're on a team and and you're acting like Mister Know It All, right? You know, like either you can do something or you can't, and that doesn't that doesn't work. So the failure, being able to go out and try something without this fear of failing all the time, that's what pulls people back and, and prevents them from being able to learn and do better. And then from a physical point of view, unless you have pushed your body, you will never know what it can do. Yeah, so yeah. unless you've pushed your body and, and, and the only way to do that is, I mean, the only way to know where your body, you know, how far you can go is to, you know, through sports or some kind of physical activity. And so even though somebody may have done it, like you said, Bill, back in elementary school, they yeah. still have that experience. And they know also that you can't just go in cold. Like you got to yeah. prepare. Yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah. like, you know, and you know, it's funny, I was on a project and we were doing kind of like, you know, pre-con meeting and everything. And this one company, they all laugh at them, but they make everybody stretch. Everybody. Like yeah, whether yeah. they're sitting at a desk or whatever in the beginning of the day, everybody stretches. And I think it's a great idea. Yeah. 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 I, I had, I started doing yoga before I even started doing archeology span cause I used to work at Costco and that place just breaks your body down, standing uh, on concrete yeah. like that and lifting. And so my body was in a lot of pain. So I already had that habit of stretching before work. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's about all the time we have today. Hopefully, you know, we gave some people some words of encouragement, especially as we're in, you know, one of the mm -hmm. hottest heat waves the, the the world has ever had, really. I mean, people are hot all over the place. Yeah. One thing to think about, this is the coolest the earth will ever be. Yes. So if you, in our if lifetimes. you were looking for it to somehow, <laughs> yeah, in our lifetime, right? So if you were thinking that somehow these, you know, unprecedented levels in Arizona, by the time you're 40 or 50, if you're listening to this, 120 will be a normal thing for Phoenix and 130 by the time you're an elder is going to be what's up. So yeah. if you can't make it now when it's 103, then what are we going to do when it's 130 and we still have to do archaeology outside? Indeed. Well, on that horrible note, let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. Phoenix. So what? I'm sorry. Exactly. I, folks so, know I lived in Tucson, right? I went to the real <laughs> university of Arizona. Phoenix to me is like, you don't even fly into that thing. If you don't have to, your plane might crash in the summer. It's too hot. So I got no love for Phoenix. I like people from Phoenix. I like individuals, the place itself. Yeah. I don't have anything really good no, to say about you. Phoenix. It's <laughs> literally hell right now. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Well, thanks for this. And, and everybody, again, remember, first off, we have affiliate links that really help us out. We have membership, arcpodnet.com forward slash members. And now everything is going on to YouTube if you'd rather consume your podcast that way or, you know, see what we look like so you can throw stuff at us when you see us at conferences. All right. <laughs> thanks, guys. And we'll see you next time. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.arcpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. See you later.
This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.